This morning I invite your attention to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We're going to continue our study of the stories of Jesus, the account of the life of Jesus found in Mark's gospel. I want to talk this morning about an ultimate reality. The Bible's going to say in a minute that how we, live, uh, how we live and what we do around others is going to be held into account by the one who is our boss. Most of us have a job that requires a job review once or twice a year to say, how are you doing? These things need to be improved. If they don't improve and they're bad enough, they, they give you, somebody may give you a 30, 60, 90 day warning to say better get right. The truth is you and I are on that warning. We better get right. We have no idea when our ultimate review is coming. But we know that one day soon Jesus is coming, and throughout all of history, it's amazing. It, it, we know in history, there time, we know in life there are times of review and either reward or punishment based on what we've done. Uh, the, the, the desire of those that are not doing well always want to remain hidden. If the guy's not doing his job well, he doesn't want to be called into account. For the person that's not coming in on time and leaves early, they don't want anybody noticing that they're not there. Why? Because they're thieves. When you leave early and come in late, you've stolen, just as if you put a gun to somebody's head and take money from them, you've taken money from your company because you promised to be there and work. And when you're not working, you might as well just say, I'm a thief, because that's what you are. And the Bible says those who want to hide, those who want to hide are those who have reason to say, I don't want to be brought to the light of judgment. But I want to remind you, this generation, not only have we discounted God, so much of the world has no belief in God, those who do believe have a false view. Because here's what they'll say, well, you know, I, I just don't believe God's like that. Well, he's not going to call for your opinion. You won't have to check the New York Times or, or you won't have to check some television show survey to say, uh, we have told you, God, what we think you are. Now, you need to comply. That ain't going to happen. God doesn't call for our opinion. He demands our obedience. When you and I fail to live up to God's expectations, there's going to be an accounting. Did you know out of 1,870 verses that are recorded in Scripture, uh, Jesus said, 1,870 verses that he said, of those, 13% are about judgment and hell. You say, so? Well, isn't it amazing that he speaks more about judgment and hell than he does about angels, which came in second, and love, which came in third? Would you say the world today, when they finally do talk about God, talk more about his love or his justice? And yet Jesus Christ, Son of God, spoke more about judgment than in hell than he spoke about love, though love of God is absolutely marvelous. Of all the parables, 40 of them recorded in Scripture, over half, deal with judgment and hell, over half of the 40 parables. So why don't we hear much about judgment and hell? Because we're too busy, busy trying to affirm people and make everybody leave feeling good so you'll come back. Sad thing is many people are going to feel good all the way into the pit. And they're going to say, I just felt so good every Sunday. Hmm. Mark chapter 9, if you remember, Jesus has had a marvelous series with his disciples, but it's pretty confrontational. We, we, we know what that's like because in a minute you're going to go through the same thing. Mark chapter 9 opens with a glorious account of the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John get to go up on top of what I think was Mount Hermon, snow-capped peak up in the Golan Heights. And there he saw, they, they saw Jesus and his clothes were whiter than snow. I mean, he's radiant. He, sees, he unveils his humanity to be seen as deity. All of his splendor. And, they, you know, Peter said, let's have a building program. They came down from the mountain. You remember the disciples, nine of them were at the foot of the, foot of the mountain. And they just had this marvelous mountaintop. With, Peter, James, and John had a marvelous mountaintop with Jesus. Coming down to the bottom, and there's a demon-possessed boy with a daddy. And he's frustrated because the church, he came to church, and the church couldn't help him. 
And Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. Why, 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 are you, why are you not doing this? And basically, he cast out the demon, and they went to the gotten house and said, why couldn't we do it? And he said, well, it only, this kind only happens with prayer and fasting. Maybe that's why we're powerless too often. And then, you know, along the way, they're coming from the Mount of the Basin of Transfiguration, heading into Galilee, down by the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Golan Heights is north, about a six days journey uh, from, the place of, from the place of Caesarea Philippi. It's a little further if you're going to the Sea of Galilee to a place called Capernaum. Capernaum was home of Simon Peter, so the Bible says they're making their way down, and along the way, the disciples hear Jesus say, I, I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die on a cross. And as they're making the journey, instead of being burdened, how can I help my master? They're saying, well, which one of us is going to be in charge when he goes? Who's going to be the chief officer? Who's going to be in charge of finances? Who's going to be the primary recruiting officer? I mean, they're lining up the tie, job titles. He's going to die. And you remember Ebenezer Scrooge where they're taking down the curtains before he's dead good? Jesus isn't dead, and they're already lining up how to spend his will. <laughs> Bible says once they get to Capernaum, they go in the house, and he, he asks them, well, what, were you, what were you arguing about on the way? And you know what happens when you get called into account for what you said. They go, Mom. I mean, it's like they can't speak. And Jesus realized that they aren't going to tell him, so he said, listen, I know what you're talking about. You want to talk about who's great, who's going to be the greatest. And he picked up a child, and he's in Peter's house. So is this Peter's son? We know Peter was married because his mother-in-law got sick and Jesus healed her. So is this his boy? I don't know. One of the disciples' boys? I don't know. A family member? Don't know. Doesn't tell you. He just says he picked up a little boy and he put him in his lap. He put him right here in front of him. Jesus is likely seated on a mat, which is what they do. Leave their sandals at the door, sit cross-legged on a mat. Puts this little boy, maybe stands him in front of him, maybe sits him on his knee as he's cross-legged. He says, see this child... See this child, we pick up the story, Mark chapter 9 and verse 36, look what he says. He took a child and had him stand among them, Mark 9, 36. Whoever welcomes one child such as this in my name, now that's going to be the theme you're going to hear in the next few verses. Whoever does this in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but him who sent me. So he said, you want to be, truly know what greatness is, you've got to be first and be a servant of all, and then you've got to be like this little child, because if you receive a child, a person like a child, how do you receive a child open-armed? How do you receive a child with a big grin on your face? How do you receive a lost man? Open arms. How do you receive a lost person with a big smile on your face? He said, when you receive one of these, in my name, you receive me. And then John, you know, was concerned because when he said, receive in my name, John said, well, wait a minute, I stopped a guy from casting out demons because he wasn't in our church. He wasn't in our group. He's casting out demons in your name. And Jesus said, no one can perform a miracle in my name. There's that phrase again, who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. Verse 41, whoever gives you a cup of water in my name. So we see this theme. Now he's talking about how you're going to live. What do you do? It's got to be in my name if you're working for the kingdom. The people today say, well, I, I, I give clothes to the poor. Well, that's good. But if you don't tag it with Jesus' name, they, all you did get them something, get them, get them something to get them through the winter. Jesus said, I'm interested in them having clothes to wear, but I'm more interested in them coming to know my name. I gave water, I gave food in Jesus' name so they could come to know Jesus. And he said, when you do it in my name, then you'll never lose your reward. Verse 42, now he's still got that child on his life. All this is one story. He's got in the house of Capernaum, he picks up the child puts him in his lap, he talks about the man who, he talks about being great, then he talks about, uh, John talks about uh, silencing a man who wasn't in their group. We pick up the same story, verse 42, he's still sitting on the floor of Capernaum in Peter's house. 
Whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones, he's holding that little boy. You don't need a video, you don't need video screens when you're holding a live example. I'm holding this child. Whoever, look at this, he, whoever causes the downfall of one like this one. Oh my. Of one. Whoever, have we ever caused one person to miss heaven? <laughs> I have. Whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones who believes in me would be better if a heavy millstone, you know what a millstone is? It's not just a little fishing weight. A millstone is sometimes much as three to four feet wide and about two feet deep because the goal of it was put a, a post in it or posts in it and it would run over a huge larger stone they put grain under it and crush that grain into just meal and you just walk around most times with a mule or horse Samson did that once he was blinded for his sinfulness you just keep rolling around and around that big old huge millstone can you imagine a stone that's maybe three feet four feet wide and about two feet high I mean tie that around your neck go jump in the lake you're not coming out Jesus said it would be better if you cause one of these to stumble. Verse 42, whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones who believes in me would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around the neck, his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now he's going to use three illustrations and repeat the same phraseology. Why? We learn through repetition. I dare say today most of us will not remember this sermon by 2 o'clock this afternoon. I know that. But whatever's repeated in, some, in a song or sermon, it'll come back to mind. If a song has a phrase repeated, oh, you find yourself singing that phrase. We learn by repetition. So three times he's going to say the same thing, but change the body part. He says in verse 43, if your hand were to cause your downfall, cut it off. That's pretty severe. For it's better to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, the unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and fire is not quenched. Verse 45, the second, second part of the repetition. If your foot, so he says, if your hand causes you, causes you sin, remove it. If your foot causes your downfall, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than have two feet and be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47, your eye. If your eye causes your downfall, gouge it out. Better in the kingdom of God where one eye, uh, with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Do you think he's pretty serious about hell? There are people who say, well, I, just think, I think Jesus just, I think he's just love. I just, I just don't believe in hell. Well, you haven't read the New Testament. If 13% of all the verses he spoke spoke of judgment and hell, maybe you ought to cover that part too. Here three times in one conversation, he says, you better miss hell. Verse 49, everyone's going to be salted with salt. Salt is good, unless or but if the salt should lose its flavor. You can't make it salty. And how can you possibly make it salty? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. Our news is filled today with people who cause little ones to stumble. I don't want to go into great detail. I pulled up one page, just one page on Google. I said, I want to know all the times of child abuse or child death in Oklahoma. I only got through about two months' worth. Federal agents arrested a Christian Education Alliance school principal for child pornography. A pastor, Christian Ministry Outreach in Turley, arrested for child pornography. Clinton man was hiding cameras in the bathroom and showered to produce child pornography. 
Married Oklahoma couple has been arrested on child pornography. Former Tulsa County deputy surrenders post bond on child pornography. Former Tulsa police officer accused of molesting two children at the home in Broken Era. It's home in Broken Era earlier this month. Police arrested three people they believed to be involved in the death of a toddler. The toddler had severe, massive head injuries and was put on life support but later died. Whoever caused the least of these, one like these, to stumble, it would be better to have a millstone around your neck and be thrown into the ocean. The sad thing is there are people that are causing our young ones to fall the minute they go to college and some as early as high school. There was a day when young people would rejoice that I'm going away to college, they'd get involved in a Baptist church wherever they went, get involved in the Baptist student ministry, and boy, I mean they'd soar in college and keep going. That day now is diminished. Too often a young person, by the time they come through their freshman year, have already decided, I have no faith. I've learned that that's all a superstition. Why did they get that? Because you're paying real expensive money to get them there. Well, why do they come out believing there's no God after one semester? The average, in the average population, 5 to 7 percent, 5 to 7 percent in the average population say they're agnostic or atheist, 5 percent. However, on college campuses, 25 percent of college professors are professing atheists or agnostics, 25 percent. Your child has a one chance in four, they're going to have an agnostic or atheistic professor their first semester. In some colleges, it's higher than that. Only 6% of college professors, only 6%, only 6% of college professors believe the Bible is the Word of God. 51% say it's an ancient book of fables and myths and has no truth. 75% believe religion just does not belong in public school. I think Jesus said it would be better if you had a millstone tied around your neck. And you'd be cast in the depths of the sea than to cause one of the least of these. What, what is a professor going to face when he said, I want you to know I took every Baptist student I, I could find as a project. By the time I got out of my class, they didn't believe in God anymore. He's going to stand before him. Maybe we ought to read the New Testament. It's, it's a powerful book. Jesus says, you better watch where you go and what you do and what you see. He said, if your hand causes you to do something wrong, cut it off. It's better to go through life with just one hand and, and live maimed than to live eternally separated from God in a place called hell. That makes it sound like it's pretty severe. He says, if your foot takes you somewhere where you shouldn't go, cut your foot off so you won't go there again. That sounds like it's pretty serious about sin. So if your eye, oh my... <laughs> If your eye starts looking at stuff you shouldn't look at, better go through life blind than to go into hell separated from God. Anybody need a commentary on any of this? It sounds pretty plain to me. We live in an era that doesn't believe in hell. Now, in the next few minutes, I'm going to offend some of you probably, and I'm sorry. I'm not doing this to be crass, crude, or carnal. I'm doing it to share with you what you hear every day. I'm going to use the word hell the way you hear it, and God forbid some of you may use it. Hell is used in so many different places, it's become a common word that means virtually anything you want it to, except the meaning, which is the eternal damnation of a holy God. In the Persian Gulf in 1991, Bernard Shaw was covering the news, and he said, when the shock and awe started, I feel like we're in the center of hell. Another reporter said shortly thereafter, all hell has broken loose. 
There are times when the word is used to mean a great deal of power and effort. A coach on television said, our, team play, uh, our team's playing the first half, they're trying like hell. Famous golfer, Tommy Armour, a teacher of golfers, Scottish man, told his, told his readers, when you're, when you're golfing, whack the hell out of the ball with your right hand. Jack Nicholas, when he was approaching his 50th birthday, reminisced that his father died when he was 56. Jack Nicholas said, I certainly hope to hell I'll live beyond 56. There are numbers of idioms which we use, in which we use the word hell, and none of them are God's definition. Because if you make light of it, then maybe we won't realize the gravity of it. People say, that man was driving like a bat out of hell. That person doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell. One man had on his jacket, I was born to raise hell. Another said, there's going to be hell to pay. One said, I'm angry as hell. Another said, I hope they give him hell. Though men joke about death and hell, it's really no laughing matter. I got news for you. A recent survey was taken. One out of every one people are going to die. Two people die every second, 105 die a minute, 6,316 die every hour, and 151, 600 people die a day, 55.3 million exit the earth annually. Uh, We're in church this morning for an hour, 6,300 people die globally. From the earliest times of man, there's been a belief among vast cultures, not just the Christian culture. This thing of heaven and hell just came about because of Christians. No, listen, they believed in uh, punishment and reward as early as the ancient civilizations, which we've discovered. In digging up even the pyramids, they tried to make sure that the, I don't know how much you said, but all those paintings on the wall, I didn't know until I visited Egypt years ago, that all those paintings on the card are going down, down, down in the belly of that pyramid. All those paintings list all the good things the king did. So when the gods read it, he's got a leg up on getting into the afterlife where it's be a reward because he was a good king. Those, that pyramid was 5,000 years old. How, how long we believed in an afterlife? The Jewish world called the place of the dead Sheol, meant the place of the dead where they would go between two parts. One part of Sheol was called Hades, which was a place of punishment. Separated from that was the place where the people who are righteous go called paradise. When Jesus told the thief on the cross, you'll be with paradise, with me in paradise, it meant perfect sense to the Jews. He's going to the place of the dead, he's going to the grave. One side is for those who are righteous, one side is for those who are not. The ultimate hell has not been opened yet. But you know when you die that you're going there. That's why the rich man begged, let me get out of here before I go to that ultimate place. When Jesus cast the demons into the swine, they said, hey, you've not come before your time, have you? You're not going to cast it out before our time, are you? Meaning it isn't time for us to go to that great pit, is it? See, there's something worse than Hades, the place of the dead where you're tormented already. You're not yet in the full torment that's coming, but it's bad enough the rich man said, could I have one drop of water just to relieve me? The Bible says heaven and hell are real. They were real in the Old Testament, real now. Judgment is very much a part of Scripture. 
It was Moses who wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 1, judgment belongs to God. It was Malachi who gives the warning, I will come near to you for judgment. David emphasized there's a God who judges the earth. Paul said we all stand before the judgment seat. Jesus warned there's coming a day of judgment. John said, John the Baptist said, you better get ready for the coming wrath. James said the judge is standing at the door. Peter said that God is ready to judge the living and dead. In Scripture, in Scripture, the second coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus mentioned over 300 times. That's, a, that's an average of one, once for every thir- one time for every 13 verses in Scripture. He warns you, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. Now, how foolish would you be? And we can be foolish because we see them all the time. You see all these orange barrels that says construction, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. He may even have his trooper there with his lights flashing. How many of you have seen people go through there or gone through there at 65 miles an hour when it says 50? Well, I, and so I didn't know. Yeah, please. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, when a man stands before God, he'll be without excuse. Why? Because God has made it so plain about righteousness and about judgment. God's going to judge the living and dead, it says in 2 Timothy 4. When Jesus spoke of judgment to his disciples, he said, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. But what was it like in the days of Noah? He said, well, people were eating and drinking, meaning they got up that morning, some went to the hospital, some went to have a baby. In modern America, some went to have an abortion. Some got up and went to work. Some got up and went fishing. Some went went to the post office. Some didn't get up. They had a day off, so they slept in. He said, just be like a normal day. You have no idea what's coming. But here's what he said. They were eating and drinking, having weddings, getting married, and being given in marriage. And then listen to the last part of that verse. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came. And it took them all away. It doesn't mean they didn't have a knowledge it was coming. Noah had preached for hundreds of years. It means they didn't know it was today. They didn't know it's coming today. Well, you've been talking about it for 120 years, people. Y'all been talking about Jesus coming for 21, 21 centuries. Get off it. He's not coming in an hour when you think not. We must all appear, the Bible says, we're going to all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? God is the authority. We can rebel against him, curse him, swear at him, curse and ignore him. But there's nothing worse than realizing I was wrong. The Bible says when he comes, people are going to run to caves and beg to be buried alive to keep looking at the face of the one they've cursed and joked about, knowing I have no plea. When he comes, he's going to, in judgment, he's going to display his authority and his holiness, his justice, and his anger. God's a righteous judge who's offended by the sins of man. Just like a judge represents you. When a person, when a person murders another, as we hear every night on the news, this person shot somebody, stabbed somebody, this person raped somebody, this person dismembered somebody, it makes you angry. That judge represents your anger because he does it under law, not under emotion. And when the person who's guilty stands before the judge, the judge represents the anger of the people expressed in the law. You commit murder, there is a penalty to pay. And you say, boy, that's right, it ought to be so. And when a judge is lenient, you say, who put him on the bench? Did you see what he did? Did you see the penalty? That judge is a joke. So what makes you think God's going to snicker at your sin and say, oh, I was just teasing, come on in. 
Do you understand the justice and judgment of God is the ultimate proof that he's a God of love? Because of his love, he sent his son to a cross. Who would want to go to heaven if God did that to his son to buy us back and then say, oh, I was just teasing? He's a just judge. And when he comes, he'll come in the full fury and anger of those who rebelled against God and mocked God and ignored God and lived as if, I don't have to do that. Who told you that? Job 34 says, there's no dark place, no deep shadow where evildoers can hide. Mark chapter 9 says, you better be careful what you do. You remember when your child, be careful little hands what you do, you remember? Be careful little feet where you go. Where did that song come from? Right out of Mark 9. Be careful little eyes what you see. Why? Because you can't erase it. When you do enough with your hands that's evil, it becomes, a, it becomes a habit. Now it's hard to break. When you go places with your feet you shouldn't go, it's hard to, hard to, hard to make a new path, isn't it? You say, better be careful what you do. Where you go and what you see. Anybody here? Anybody here done something you shouldn't do? <laughs> yep, the whole room, including the preacher. Anybody ever been somewhere you shouldn't be? Yep, and I'm in bad company. And do you ever see something you shouldn't see? Oh my, you can't help them, but most of the time now, can you? Jesus didn't laugh at it and say, well, that, that, I know it's hard, and I, 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 you know it's okay, it's okay. No, he didn't say that. He said, first of all, let me tell you, you're going to be responsible. You are responsible. See, we, we, wanna, we always want to get somebody we can blame. person burns himself a coffee, sue the company. Somebody has a car, sue the car owner, your car, car manufacturer. See, we want to blame somebody. Adam wanted to blame Eve. Eve wanted to blame the serpent. And ultimately, God said, you're guilty. You did it. You did it. How's it going to feel to stand before God and say, I don't have anybody to blame, Lord? And by the way, he won't call any witnesses to your, to your trial. <laughs> he is omniscient. That means you were, he was with you when you did it. He was with you when you did it. So when you say, well, I, I'm a, I, I love Jesus, did you take him with you to the bar, did you? Yeah, you did. When you were pulling that little machine there at the casino, did you take him with you? Yeah, you, yeah, you did. When you went on your computer, going somewhere you shouldn't go, did you take me? He's sitting right here. Yeah, you, he, he doesn't need a witness. When, when you said something about somebody you shouldn't have said, and you were just really full of it, getting it out of there, boy, I mean, you were really rolling. He said, I, I heard you. I heard you. The Bible says he won't need any witnesses. We're responsible. Whoever, he says, whoever causes one of these to stumble. See, we set our eternity. eternity and our trust in him and when we fail to trust in him then we're judged on our deeds if you don't trust in him and allow him to forgive you then walk in his grace I don't say I don't mean a Hail Mary Jesus forgive me okay I prayed the prayer I'm in get real you have to do more than that to buy a house they do all your background checks and your job checks and your income check and your insurance checks well I don't have to do all that well God I, I just prayed the prayer I'm, I'm in I can do what I want to where did you read that one scripture. Jesus swept over Jerusalem. You remember? This verse always gets me. He said to Jerusalem, Oh, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you to myself. But listen to this. You would not come. 
when you leave church today, occasionally I've missed a church service because I'm driving back from somewhere, not often, but occasionally. You know, I'm not out much. But then on those occasions, I missed church. And when I did, I was amazed on Sunday morning, the traffic jam, people going to the mall, and people going to the restaurants, people going golfing, and people going to Sam. I mean, they're going everywhere. I mean, I always felt good because the church was full. Goodness, we're not even coming close. Because you see that many people today that won't even acknowledge there's a God. We're responsible for what we do. There's a clear, Jesus is clear there's going to be a judgment. Jesus, by the way, makes it clear there is life after life. You don't just go back to be a petunia. You're going to come back as you are and you're going to have a memory. Isn't that, isn't that a kicker? The Bible says the rich man in hell remembered that beggar. Oh, I remember him. He was at my gate. What does that tell him? Memory is not cleared in hell. You're going to remember. The rich man remembered, I have five brothers. How do you know he remembered? What makes hell, hell is you remember. Oh, my. Jesus so often reminded us there's a place that, that he has reserved for those who spent their lives saying, I don't want anything to do with God. He says, I heard you. You know people at work. Don't tell me about God and the church. I'm, I don't want to hear that. He says, I'm listening. I'm going to give you what you ask for. And then they would say, well, I don't think it's fair. God sent a man to hell. He didn't send you. <laughs> Listen, if you line up and say, that's the ticket I want, and then you get mad that he gave you the ticket, what's wrong with you? If I buy a ticket to a destination on an aircraft, I expect them to take me where I wanted to go. And if somebody says, I don't want anything to do with God, and he gives you that ticket, you have no reason to kick when you're in the pit of hell. You know why? That's what I wanted. I got what I asked for. But if you notice in hell, nobody's ever happy once they find out what the request entailed. Jesus said we're responsible for what we do. And there is a place for those who are wicked. And the wicked go to a place that's horrible and there's no escape. I can't imagine. And then there's truth. truth is nobody can really say, I didn't know. Boy, there's more movies today on demons and zombies in hell than I've ever I've ever imagined. Where did they get so fluent on hell? Because that's what that's already in their heart. You don't, don't say, I didn't know. Jesus often compared hell to a prison. He says there are people going to go to a place called hell where the worm never dies and the fire is not quenched, and he compared it to a prison. He said, this is how the Heavenly Father is going to treat each of you. When a man came home and his servant been wicked, he said, take him out and throw him into prison for what he's done, for his dereliction of duty. The Bible says this is the way the Father's going to treat you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. The Bible says in another place, Jesus said turn you, he's going to turn you over to the officer and the officer will throw you into prison. Jesus warned, warned of the fate awaiting that those that Jews who rejected him in spite of their special privileges. He said they're going to be thrown outside. See, sitting here this morning, we don't sunshine and if I said to somebody somebody got really unruly and the security came and threw them outside you'd say well thank goodness you're not in church but at least a pretty day but if it's 10 degrees outside and snowing or 108 degrees outside and scalding hot no water and they took them down the edge of the property they said I don't have a car I said well get off this property you ain't coming back up here I don't have a car I'm sorry well, I don't have water drink I'm sorry get out of here See, to be thrown outside away from security in the biblical times meant you could well perish before you get to the next house. 
you may not make it. If somebody throws you outside, it means you don't really have anywhere to go. And if you're thrown out by the king, the citizen's not going to have anything to do with you because if you aid and abet a criminal, then they come after you. That's why the disciples were scared when they arrested Jesus. We can't be shown at the cross, seen at the cross. They may crucify us next. Can you imagine getting as close to the gate of heaven and be thinking, well, preacher lied to me. I'm standing right here at the gate. I'm on my way. And then Jesus meets you and says, depart from me. I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't know you. This close. And missed it. The Bible said hell's a horrible place. Jesus warned us of Gehenna. Gehenna's mentioned 12 times in Scripture. Only once is it not used by Jesus. Every time it's talked about hell because Gehenna was the city dump. I've never enjoyed going to the dump. When I go, I want to get in and get out. First of all, it smells awful. Second, your car gets all that dust on it. And you're thinking, I hope I don't breathe this all the way back home. And I've, I've never been to a city dump that doesn't have some part of it burning. And then if you get out in an area where they've been digging, you may see something crawling up around there, and it's maggots. Doesn't that sound desirable? He said, in hell, the fire never stops. Don't you want to go? Let's get up a busload. And the worm never dies. Now, some people say, well, that's just symbolic. Okay. So there's something outside of us that makes hell horrible, and there's something within that makes horrible. See, a fire is external. Worms work on you and in you. So if the fire is outside, what is it? It's the wrath of God. Now, whatever that is, it's bad enough. He said the worst, compare, the, the easiest comparison I can make is to be burned with fire. You ever been burned yourself with fire? Did you like it? So that felt so good, I think I'll just be a roasted marshmallow. Let me just lay it back here on this eye and get all that I can. You liked it? No. Everything in you repulsed. He said, if you think it's bad here, Imagine being in a place that's dark and there's a flame that's hotter than that we know. It's not like a little campfire. He says it's a hot, sulfur-burning fire, brimstone. You know, when you grill, when you grill and that, those coals get really hot and you reach in there to flip a burger and it burns the hair off your hand, you say, ooh, ooh, that's hot. It doesn't have a fire, but it has a fire. <laughs> it doesn't have a flame, but it has a fire. And the worm, those who believe that symbolic say the worm is your conscience. You know how you feel when you know you've done wrong? You know you did something you didn't. You know you said something you should. You know you did something you shouldn't. You know how you feel? Oh, I wish I could die. What was I thinking? How stupid. Oh, it just feel awful. See, what makes hell, hell is suddenly your memory comes back. And now it is elongated and you begin to recount every deed and every word and every thought and every motive and every rejection of Jesus that puts you in the pit. And you want out, that worm will not die. I cannot stop thinking about the stupid things I did and you're angry. The Bible says there's gnashing of teeth. When do you gnash teeth? When you're mad and you're hurting. Who are you mad at? Well, I'm mad at Satan because he deceived me. I'm mad at me because I'm so stupid. And I'm mad at God that he'd put me here. But I said, all of eternity, you grit your teeth and gnash your teeth in anger and you can't get out. That sounds lovely, doesn't it? No wonder we don't want to hear about hell. 
No wonder we try to mythicize hell so that we don't have to think about the reality. It was John Flavel in the 17th century who said, Conscience, which should have been the sinner's curb on earth, becomes the whip that must lash his soul in hell. Neither is there any faculty or power belonging to the soul of man so fit and able to bring him torment as his own conscience. That which was the seat and center of guilt now becomes the seat and center of all of his torment in hell. Jesus would say there's no peace for the wicked. Isaiah would say there's no rest and no peace for the wicked. The Bible says a place of hell. Nahum says his wrath is poured out like fire. Malachi says the day is coming when he will set them on fire. Matthew 3.12 says he's burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Matthew 5.22 says you fool, you're in danger of hell's fire. Horrible to think about hell, isn't it? But we need somebody to rescue us because the wages of sin is death. That is both the minimum and the maximum wage. Just a few days in Texas there was a horrible time of flooding as there was in much of Oklahoma. A man named Tom Mitchell was hearing what was happening on the news and he thought I I can't just sit here and listen to this. There may be somebody I could help. He just had that sense, I, I can't sit here. i got to get out and get my truck, go see if I can help somebody. He lived about 10 miles north of Canton, Texas, where some of y'all been for that trade day. When he got in his truck, he hadn't gone very far. They came to Myrtle Springs, and he saw a truck overturned. And inside was a dad and a toddler and an infant. They were in rushing water, and the, washer, the water was rushing so quickly, the man couldn't get the door open, and Tom got in the water, but he couldn't pull the door open either. And, and so he did the thing that we could not have done a generation ago. He whipped out his cell phone and just started doing a video. And on the audio, he says, please, if you could see this, come here. I'm at Myrtle Springs on this road. Come help me now. And lo and behold, in about just a few minutes, five to six, five, six, seven people showed up and all the men got in the water and they're trying every way in the world to get a door open. Finally, two of them managed to get open. Two more came and swung it open. They got the man out and the toddler out and Tom was holding the baby. His little infant was in his arms, and the infant was turning first ashen and then blue. And Tom was panicked because he thought, this little baby's going to die right here in my arms if I don't do something. And so he very gently laid the baby on the ground, and he began to try to do uh, respiration exercises to get that baby's breathing started, and the baby wasn't responding. He said, a lady came and stood right over his shoulder. I want to I read it because I don't want to leave... I don't want to leave it out. Lady Bream leaned over his shoulder and started praying, Dear Jesus, please let this baby have breath. Dear Jesus, let this baby breathe. Tom said, the very first prayer she said, I felt the child respond. And Tom and the other good Samaritans turned their attention to the toddler who also survived. When Tom was asked why he felt like this story was one he had to share, he said, I think it shows how the community and strangers all came together to rescue one little child. I know somebody that's lost on their way to hell. Do you? Do you? So we're going to just say amen and go home and say, thank God I'm saved. That's what we're saying. Not my problem. 
right? No hair off my chin, right? I'm glad Jesus came after me, but if they don't want him, they don't, it's fine with me, right? No. See, nobody is invited to hell. That's the tragedy. Every warning that could be put in place is put in place to stop people from going off that chasm. But there's somebody you know and I know that's this close and we don't even know it. One heartbeat. One more drive in the car. One more trip to the doctor and it's malignancy that can't be cured. One more. And so the question is what we need is to be saved. That's why Jesus came. He came to seek and to save those that are, what, lost away from God and on their way to hell. To be saved means to be saved means to be snatched from something where you couldn't take care of yourself. That little infant couldn't save herself out of that truck. If Tom and those with him had not come to help her, that little baby would have drowned right there. If he had not given her artificial respiration, she would have died in his arms. The truth is, there's somebody you and I know that's right there. And the floodwaters are rising. And they're cursing and swearing and ugly and mean and angry. And they don't even know why. But if we don't rescue the perishing, some people you know in your family and your circle of friends will never, ever, ever see God. I believe in a room this size there's somebody here say, Brother Nick, I'm not sure either that I'm saved. I, I come to church and I really enjoy the music and the preaching, but Brother Nick, if I died today, I, I'm, not, I'm not saved. You, you know that. I, I don't. You know that. You just heard the alternative. Listen, we always like to talk about heaven. But there's another place. and Everybody has eternal life. God's eternal. We're like our Father. He made us eternal. We're going to live forever somewhere. I believe that some of you need to come today and say, Listen, I know that I've sinned against God. I am a sinner. I know that. And I know I can't fix my sin because I've tried a lot of times in a lot of ways and I'm not doing good. And my hands do things they shouldn't. And my feet go places they shouldn't. And my eyes have seen more than I wish I could I, I, I've seen because I can't erase it. And so what I really need is mercy. That's exactly right. And grace because that's free. Brother Nick, I can't pay for my sin. Well, that's good because there's somebody picked up your tab. His name's Jesus. The Bible says he took unto himself the sins of us all. And when he died on the cross, he shouted, paid in full. Every sin of every man that ever lived was paid by Jesus Christ. Now the question is, are you going to receive his payment are you boneheaded enough to say, well, I think I'll just take my chances. Then I want you to hear me. If today you reject Jesus, hear me. Live stream or live and in color. If you reject Jesus and I never get to preach another sermon to you and you never hear another one. As of today, you can never say, preacher, I just didn't know. Now you know. So I'm going to ask you a very simple question. If your soul were required of you this day, where would you spend forever? The choice is yours. Redeemed because you're forgiven by God's grace or rejected because you turned your back on the greatest offer ever made. Stand with me. Heavenly Father, to the best of my ability today, I've made clear this text that warns us 
it'd be better to lose a hand, a foot, or an eye than to enter hell totally physically healthy and be separated from God forever in a place where the worm doesn't die, where our conscience just chews at us for eternity. And where the fire is the only way God could describe the type of torment a person is in forever. Gnashing of teeth out of anger at themselves and at Satan for deceiving them and God for judging them. Although the judgment was not because they didn't know the judgment because they didn't do. They never trusted. They never called on God to forgive. They never walked with God in righteousness. Heavenly Father, hell is real. Heaven is real. The choice is in the hands of the believer of the individual for those that say Lord Jesus I know what I am and I agree with you I've sinned and I need forgiveness and somebody's got to pay for my sin and Jesus because you're willing I'm willing to take you as my Savior some of you need to pray that prayer today you say well I don't know how to do all that well that's why we have pastors in this altar pastors you're in the room get to the altar we have a lady here will talk to ladies if you say I don't want to talk to a man I'd like to talk to a lady as a lady there'll be a lady here to talk to you while I'm talking, if you need Jesus, just step out from where you are. Come put your hand in the hand of one of these pastors. Say, I need Jesus. That's all you got to say. You know if you do. If you don't know him, you need him. And if you know you need Jesus, just step out from where you are. Folks will let you slide by them. Step out and come stand right here with a pastor and say, I need Jesus. Some of you say, Brother Nick, I, I, I'm a Christian, but I know friends that desperately need Jesus. Some are your children, aren't they? Some of them are your parents. Some of them, it's your brother, sister. Some of that person you go to ball games with every time you go, and you know they don't know Christ. Did you hear where they're headed? You okay with that? Not. Wouldn't it be a good day today to just get on your knees before God? There are prayer benches here. There's places kneel at the front. Say, God, please, please use me to snatch my friend from hell. Please, God, use me or use somebody else. Please don't let them go to that place. Maybe today there's another decision you need to make to join the church or be baptized. Whatever it is, you do it. Father, we're waiting before you. Do with us as is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're singing together. Sing with us.